What is up, everybody? This is Derek Kirby back with another live stream here to talk some Mavericks basketball. It's game day. It's game six. The first opportunity, believe it or not, the first opportunity the Dallas Mavericks have had to close out a series in game six since the 2011 NBA Finals. Now, they did go to a Game 7 in 2014 against the San Antonio Spurs in the first round, a game that they got thrashed, unfortunately. The only time Dirk ever lost a Game 7, in fact. But all the same, this is a big, big game for the Mavericks here. I can't stress enough how important I think it is for Dallas to win tonight. Yes, they are all-time 5-0 at the Staples Center. However... At some point, home court probably plays a role in this series. And if you don't get that win tonight to close it out, if you give... The Clippers have already won two in a row once, and both of them being on your floor. So they have some confidence on that front. But you don't want to have to go up against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in a Game 7 in L.A. That's just not an ideal thing. At some point, you have to be able to take care of home court. Now... The Jazz have advanced. They're waiting for you. So you need to take care of business tonight. You have a, a, a raucous crowd who was there for you in both games three and four, and you didn't do your part to hang, like, to keep them in it. You, you had the electric start to game three, and then you lost control of that game as it got really to the end of the first quarter. And game four, it felt like you were never really in it. For various reasons. So you need to take care of business tonight and get to that matchup with the Jazz because Mike Conley is on the mend ahead of game one of the second round. You want to give that dude as little rest as possible because while he might not be quite the stone cold killer that he once was, he's still a very good point guard, a very capable point guard for the Jazz and he you know his first year there was rough he's bounced back you don't want to get into that situation where he's had any more time to rest than absolutely necessary so take care of business tonight this is a huge huge game for Dallas and you know I'm anxious because part of me that part of me thinks you know this team has shown an ability to go in and win when their backs are against the wall. They've responded well most of the year. We know how they do against teams with records over 500. We saw how Rick Carlisle took a very unconventional adjustment, like went an unconventional route with his adjustments in Game 5, that even though the Clippers, a couple hours before tip, saw what they were going to be doing, still couldn't counter it. Now, I mentioned at the time in yesterday's live stream, I mentioned how uh, Boban and playing that second biggest uh, starting lineup in NBA playoff history. The record, by the way, is owned by previous Mavericks coach Don Nelson when he ran out Rafe LaFrenz, Dirk Nowitzki, and Sean Bradley in a starting lineup. Now, how is that for size? LaFrenz was, what, 6'11"? Dirk was seven foot, Bradley seven three, or sorry, seven five, whatever. Ridiculous, ridiculous. So it's uh, it's definitely interesting that Carlisle went 
as big as he possibly could with his lineup as opposed to going small ball as everyone thought they would. Now, I mentioned in that stream yesterday that what worked for them in that game really was more about protecting the paint, limiting the points in the paint, where LA had just cooked Dallas throughout the series, but particularly shredded them in games three and four. That was a good adjustment on that front. However, if you look at the numbers, Boban's rating on the floor versus off, it's atrociously bad when he was on the floor in that game. Now, yeah, it could have been worse is the thing because the Clippers, they had good ball movement. They attacked the Dallas zone and they just weren't hitting their threes, but they were scoring field goals. When Boban was on the floor, they scored 14 field goals. Again, he was on the floor 20 minutes and his rating off the floor, Dallas's rating when he was off the floor was much better. So I think Dallas has to adjust what they're doing. I'm not saying don't play a Boban. I think you can play him some, and I think he can bring some key impact for this team because, as we talked about, the Clippers, they might be a 41% three-point shooting team, but they were converting 60, almost 70% of their shots, it felt like, in the paint, and 70% is always going to be higher and more destructive than if it's a 41% thing. So you just have to work around that as you're capable. And I think Dallas will have to tweak things a little bit. You can't just roll the dice on the same strategy as last game because it was a gamble last game, and thankfully it paid off. But you can't bank on that being the case again. Now, I think this is a huge game for Kristaps Porzingis. We've talked all series long about how we've been waiting for him to come around. He showed signs of life. Early on, game two, 20 points, 8 of 12 from the field. And he's hit some big shots in certain situations. A couple clutch free throws in game one. Obviously had a that corner three that was probably the single biggest shot of the year for the Mavericks thus far in game five as they pushed up to 10 and basically needed every inch that three-pointer afforded them in terms of padding. But even still, he has not put together the kind of performances Dallas needs from him. I realize that the Clippers have taken him away. They are hugging him. If you watch back on some of the tape, they are, even as Luka drives his way towards that corner to try and suck that defender off of the corner, off of KP where he's spotted up, the defender is staying glued and they're rotating from a different direction to try to limit it. They're basically saying, we largely understand Luka's going to Luca, Luca gonna Luca, but we're not gonna let the number two guy beat us. And hey, go figure, he's also in a bit of a struggle. He's on the struggle bus, to put it gently, compared to where he was last year before his meniscus tear. So that works even more to our advantage. It's harder for him to get going. He still has shown he can get going this year, but it's harder for him to get going. And so if you can just stay glued to him and not let him even have a chance at getting going, then the Clippers are looking at it and they're saying, we like our odds of Kawhi and Paul George overmatching Luka in terms of total production. More so, even more so, we like our odds of our role players outscoring their role players. And you could look at it and say, hey man, it's 3-2 in the series, so clearly Dallas for a team that has yet to put it all together, for a team that is largely being dragged across this finish line, or at least right up to the cusp of the finish line right now, it's all by 
Luca. Almost all. Like 31 of 37 baskets in game five were scored or assisted assist, uh, assisted on by Luca in this case. And to give that context, Mavs fan for life points out on Twitter, yes, he had 42 points. Yes, he assisted on another 31 points. The Mavericks had 17 free throw, uh, 17 points off free throws. By the way, they were much better at the foul line last game, and Luca only shot three free throws in the game, which maybe helps because dude is struggle bus. His three point percentage in the playoffs is better or equal to his free throw percentage, which is just nuts. Not in a good way either. But Mavericks only scored six baskets worth 15 points that weren't directly scored by Luca or assisted by him. Luca is dragging this thing right up to the cusp of the finish line. And it's almost like he's just kind of putting his arms out like, guys, come on, man. I'm setting you up for these threes. As much as Luca talked about him shooting too much in the fourth quarter of game five, he was getting great looks to Dorian Finney-Smith, who's gone cold since game two. Uh, Hardaway's had some really good looks as well. LA is really, really bothering Dallas with some of its interesting rotations it's going with here. In addition to them staying glued as much as possible to KP, their rotations aren't coming from where you would expect them to. Now, at times, it's still leading to miscommunications. I think they're having to change things up from their normal scheme a little bit, and that's allowing Dallas to take advantage. Luca's ridiculously high basketball IQ is coming into play here because he's almost always making the right decision, even when he's getting an unusual look or defensive rotation to try to take away from what he's doing. Now, the turnover he had with about 15, 16 seconds left in game five was actually a rare bad decision by him. And I think it, I think it was a little mental at that point because he had missed three or four consecutive looks for himself, whether they were three-point looks, whether they were his mid-range games, the, the dark fadeaway, all that. He wasn't finishing in that regard. He was getting a lot of rim outs and things of that nature. And I think it got into his head that as he was setting up for a Dirk one-legged fadeaway, it looked like in the center of the paint over Zubak, who he has owned in this series, for whatever reason, he declined and tried to force a rather soft pass underneath to Maxi. It gets broken up by Terrence Mann, who undercuts the, the route, the passing lane, and they're off to the races. Now, it's incredible here. Luca does get back and put some pressure on Terrence Mann for what would have been probably the game-winning layup for LA there. It would have put him up one with about nine seconds left. But Luca's on his is on his backside. He's on his back shoulder, and Mann passes up the layup. Now, whether he, for whatever reason, felt the pressure of the moment or just thought Luca was contesting harder than he was, I don't know. Luca's there, but there's no way, watching that playback since yesterday's show, there's no way Terrence Mann should not have just laid that up. Dallas thankfully crashed hard to the boards. They put pressure on it, and so when he dumped off to Batum, he wasn't able to finish it to put the Clippers ahead. But it's an incredible, fortunate break there for Dallas, and part of that came from the Clippers' defensive rotations there. Luka still had the shot opportunity he should have taken, but the Clippers are throwing some interesting looks at him as well. Now, conversely, whereas the Clippers are doing things 
a little bit unique in terms of their defensive rotations, they're really not doing anything offensively. A lot of their possessions late in that game, including during their 9-0 run, were just freelancing. It was just motion. And that's interesting to me. Like, they weren't setting staggered screens, double screens, anything like that. It was kind of just like, hey, you get the ball and you go. And it's actually Dallas who had a couple defensive breakdowns that led to it. You had the the Marcus Morris three, for instance, that cut it to, what did it cut it to at that point? It cut it to four, and then Kawhi got the and won the next possession. But on that play, KP doesn't think that the man in the corner is covered, and I think it's Luka who had him covered. So KP just straight up abandons, straight up abandons the dude, Marcus Morris, on the extended wing for a wide open three. That's brutal. Now, the possession before where Reggie Jackson hits the three, that's actually... That actually wasn't a terrible defensive possession by Dallas. That was more just Reggie hitting a good shot. But it's very interesting how these two teams are kind of working in a chess match. I think L.A., to its own detriment, freelanced a little too much there. Unstructured, I should say, rather than freelancing. Freelancing makes it sound like one guy would get the ball and just try to go make it happen. The problem with them uh, just running a, a complete motion offense and everything like that was... Because there's no structure, you had a moment where, at one point, Rondo drives hard to the middle, and he tries to give a dump-off pass to a cutting Paul George, which would be great, except for Kawhi was also cutting, and so it congests the lane, which allows Dorian Finney-Smith, who's not guarding Paul George at the time, to reach up, flip the ball out of Paul George's hands as he's driving. That was one of those back-to-back turnovers by Paul George when Dallas's lead went from 4 to 7 to 10. That's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's how chaos occurs for LA in that moment. And it's because of their offense being unstructured and leading to Dallas breaking the other direction. Now on the KP3, this was, I think, a bad defensive decision that they made. And I've seen uh, a couple people point this out as well, uh, breaking down some film. Salute to Daryl, our new subscriber. Uh, in that situation, the KP3, I don't know what the hell Batum is doing. I really don't. Uh, Nicholas uh, Batum's decision in this regard is baffling. It looks like he gets a call from the bench telling him to help out, even though Luca's he's, he's already in the strong side passing lane. He's one pass away. He does not need to creep up towards Luca because he's creating the passing lane. Luca is a damn good enough passer, strong enough passer and everything to hit KP for that quick release three, which he does. But it, the, the pressure L.A. applied in that situation was so counterintuitive. Salute to our new subscriber, Dan. Was so counterintuitive and just short-sighted that it allowed, it allowed for KP to get that look and just absolutely kill it. That was, that was a dagger. I mean, I know we just talked about it. L.A. came back 9-0 run, really should have gone at least 11, but their own panic in that moment Terrence Mann getting deer in headlights look as he's driving baseline I it's it's incredible like I don't know did LA have a timeout in that situation I know because of the turnover and Carlisle would say the same thing we've seen it this year because of the turnover you like to break against an unset defense a defense that's scrambling because that's when you can catch them in moments of weakness and so that's what they tried to do but Paul George passes to Terrence Mann who drives hard baseline gets all the way to the rim 
and then tries a dump off pass to Batum, who did a good job cutting, but it, it, the whole thing was just mismatch. And that is really, really, I think, the story for the Clippers of those final few minutes. Even though they made that run, they were so disjointed. They were so, their spacing was bad. They had nothing set in the offense. And it was burning them, whether it was in the form of turnovers, which Dallas then capitalized on with threes, whether it was in the form of just decision-making in that regard because they didn't set Kent down. Kent Ketchum donated $2. Through Kent Super Ketchum. We got this tonight, DDP. Kent Ketchum donated $2 through Super Chat. We got this tonight, DDP. Hashtag I MFFL. I don't know why that read it twice and somewhat overlapped, but salute to Quasimodo. Quasi, I've seen you before. You've come here and you must have left at times. I won't hold that against you though. Show's constantly improving anyway. So, yes, so in this situation, uh, the Clippers, their disjointed offense came back to bite them. It set up for Dallas to take advantage. And even when LA had the moment of advantage right there in their grasp at their fingertips, they let it go. They let it go. And that is such a shame. Quasimodo, I, I resubscribed to see the animation. Gotcha. All right, I, I can accept that. I was going to say, you've been here before, so if you left, you son of a gun, but I won't hold it against you. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really an opportunity for Dallas to close this out tonight because the Clippers made good adjustments in games three and four. Attacking the middle of the lane was huge, and their role players stepped up in a big way, and their role players have really continued to do that. This has been a struggle for Dallas because, yes, Tim Hardaway did eventually get to 20 points at the very end of the game the other night, giving Dallas at least another score with that kind of production, 20-plus. But it was, in a lot of ways, mirroring what we saw with Portland in that game. Dame just went insane with, like, 12 threes and 55 points or whatever, where it was basically Damian Lillard against the world in that regard, against the Nuggets, and his teammates just weren't giving him anything. So that is a big, big like parallel there we were seeing in game five. We saw it in game three for sure, and we were seeing it again in game five, but Luka was wearing down as we've kind of seen in the fourth quarter, and I'm not putting this on like, a, oh, it's a conditioning thing. You can't ask a dude to do more than 31 points, or sorry, 31 of 37 baskets either scored or assisted on. You can't ask more than that. 42, 14, and 8. That's obscene. He's averaging 35 points per game in this series. 9.4 assists, 8 rebounds, 1 steal, 47% from the field, and 42% from 3. The only thing you could possibly ask of him to do more is make his damn free throws. That's it. And he's clearly got the yips there, which we saw at times last year in the playoffs. That's the one carryover of his game where even if he's pretty good in the regular season, like a 75% free throw shooter, for whatever reason, these, these situations in the playoffs, it seems like it gets a little bit under his skin. And so maybe that's part of why it was a benefit for Dallas, him only shooting three free throws in the game the other night because the refs kind of just let the two teams play. So it worked out, but at the same time, you can't really ask him to do more. And you got to have your role player step up. With the L.A. role players stepping up, be it Reggie Jackson, I know he's a starter, uh, but still, it's a role player, not one of their main guys. With Jackson stepping up, Marcus Morris has found his shot a little bit, and he's been effective. I think he had 20 points as well last, uh, last game. You just have a situation where Dallas's role players either need to step up 
or Rick Carlisle needs to pull another rabbit out of his hat by again winning the adjustments battle, the coaching battle here. I think last year he didn't have enough bullets in the chamber, so to speak, in his kind of head-to-head matchup with Doc Rivers. I think Rivers benefited from having the better, deeper team for sure last year, certainly the healthier team last year. Whereas this year, I think even though the Clippers are still headed to a, I think, better team, at least with KP not being, you know, unicorn KP or bubble KP or whatever, I think in this situation, it really is Dallas's advantage on the coaching front. I think Ty Lue made good adjustments after game three, and I was frustrated that Carlisle didn't, you know, he made adjustments in game four, but they just didn't take, and maybe they were maybe they were immaterial anyway because of Luka being very, very visibly hurt in game four. Can't make a cross-court pass without doubling over in pain. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered in that game, but he came out, Carlisle did, in game five, went a very unconventional route that when I when I read it, I was like, there's no way they're actually starting Boban. There's no way. That that's such a that's such a confusing adjustment to make because it's like, here's how they're killing you. Great, let's do more of that. Like, what? No, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. Instead, he leaned into it and after the fact you kind of look at it and as I said, even though Boban's plus minus in terms of on the floor versus off was bad, bad, bad. It still was a situation where Carlisle said, look, we'll rebound better and we'll be able to shut down a lot of what they're doing in the paint. We're going to go zone as well, not just put Boban out there, but we'll go zone, which you kind of have to with Boban anyway. But we're going to muck things up in the paint and we're going to take what has been an automatic 40, 50, whatever points per game for them. And we're going to cut that number way down. And we're going to say, hey, they might be the best three-point shooting team this year in the NBA. They might be one of the most efficient NBA three-point shooting teams of all time. We're going to still dare them to beat us with what is supposed to be their greatest strength. Now, that, that is a calculated ballsy risk, but it paid off at least for game five. So we'll see. Dallas has some things that they need to adjust as well. I, I mentioned... Uh, with some of the rotations and stuff that were thrown at Dallas. I still think they need to do more to get the ball to KP. It's not enough just to say, hey, KP's standing in the corner and he's a decoy, which he himself has said in this postseason that he's largely in this series just being used as a decoy. It's not enough to just say, hey, their man will stay glued to him and we're just going to go try and play over here instead. I think you need to do more to try and get him involved. Some way, somehow... I don't know what the exact answer is for that. I'd like to get him in those short elbow situations where, you know, as far as New York KP, that was a bread and butter. He's not a guy that is great consistently standing out there and just jacking threes. And six shots like he got last game, that's not going to cut it, man. Like, I understand saying, like, well, hey, they're sticking to him and they're trying to take him away. Okay, but if they were doing that to Luka, would you not get the ball to Luka? Would you not do everything in your power to get the ball to Luka? And I'm not saying I want KP putting the ball on the deck, but I do want to see them do something, something different. Let me roll through some of the chat here. I see we got some people jumping in now. If you haven't already, guys, drop a like on the video if you would be so kind, so very, very kind. And uh, if you haven't already, consider subscribing. 
greatly appreciated. I'm just jumping to the thing here because I'm curious. So we got 54 people in the house. What's up? Uh, let's see. Dirk Doncic. I like the name. Man is big key for them. Dude forced three flagrant ones. Shaking my head. Man has been huge for them. And I actually would like to see some Josh Green in that regard because I think he can bring a little bit of that same chaos. I'm not saying he's going to draw flagrant fouls, but he's a very much energy guy off the bench. And he's a guy I think that can bring in, in short bursts some energy momentum turning plays your way. Uh, let's see, let's see. Hope KP steps up. He's been nowhere to be seen. Yeah, and a lot of that's just what the Clippers are doing. But he, when he has gotten the opportunities, has not capitalized. I agree. If Luca improves further, he will evolve to the Uber Goat. I like it. KP needs to score first and end them in the fourth quarter with his three-point shooting. Yeah, I mean, that would be... I think getting him going early is a good tactic. They tried that in game four. And I really don't I really don't blame K, uh, KP for game four. I mean, with Luka in the state he was in, you were never going to win that game. So I think they had the right idea in game four, trying to get KP established early. And it just wasn't able to materialize in a win because Dallas was just too beat up physically anyway. So I, I think I'd like to see them roll that a little bit, shake things up, continue shaking it up a little bit with the rotation. Still get some Boban in there, but B, don't start him. Don't play him 20 minutes. I don't think that's the idea. I think if you give him 10 to 12, you can still maximize uh, his impact while limiting the uh, the Clippers' ability to attack him and to really capitalize in those situations. But the good thing about putting Boban out there was it forced Zubats on the floor. And that is the guy Luka has attacked most successfully this series. Any game that Zubats has played more than 18 minutes, the Clippers have lost. So you want him out there. Even though he got to dunk on Boban and they flexed and Steve Ballmer, like a goober he is, fell out of his chair like, Aah! like it, Dude, take the L. Just take the L. It's over. <laughs> like, you don't understand. You're like, yeah, cool, you got that play, but you're kind of playing into our strategy just by having him out there. Because you got your two points, great, but Luca's going to abuse your dude for like 18 in this game alone. So doesn't even matter. That doesn't even include what he's doing against the other guys. So, yeah, I'm not worried about that trade-off. Uh, love to see Josh Green get some energy tonight. Yep. I know Luca can become a great free-throw shooter. When he came to the league, he had a very little mid-range game. And post-game, now it's part of his offense, says Mavs, FFL 77. Uh, let's see. If Luca is so good, why can't he get KP going? Again, the Clippers are staying glued to KP in the corner. Even when Luca drives hard in that direction, KP's man is not collapsing down on Luca. Watch what Batum is doing in those moments there in the game. Other than that one possession where inexplicably the Clippers bench told Batum to creep up and pressure against Luca, that created the passing lane for KP to get that quick trigger three. And KP having six, five shots at the time all game, he got that ball. And not only was the look there, but he was like, holy crap, I got the ball. Shoot. And he knocked it down. But it was just a funny, it was a funny thing where they, they're staying glued to him. They're not giving it up. They're rotating from different directions. And really what the Clippers should do as well is when Dallas, and I'm not trying to give them pointers, but I don't think they're watching, obviously. So we'll, we'll just talk about it. 
what they should do when Dallas forces a screen and roll with uh, with whoever Zubats is on, they should instead have Zubats collapse back and rotate over from a different direction on top. So you can get in that situation, one, another wing collapsing on Luka. So it's a, it's a better situation there for them. Two, you can just adjust your rotational direction and avoid the the slip or the roll, whatever is coming from the Dallas big in that situation. Instead, they're allowing Dallas to get that switch with Zubats constantly. And Luka has cooked, cooked Zubats this series. So just, just a thing, an observation. And again, I think I, I think I've actually seen someone else talk about that too. Um, but I, I went back in and I had recorded the game and I went back and I watched the last quarter this morning earlier and uh, that's really something that stands out after a while of like, man, we're five games into this thing and they're not adjusting what they're doing. Like, that's crazy. Uh, da, 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 da. I just want the Mavs to get the damn win tonight, says Rangers King 669. Mavs will have a chance to get KP going against Gobert if they close out tonight. I actually think Utah is a tough matchup for KP. Like, I know KP has an ability, like, in terms of physicality inside, KP's not going to match up well there. I know the thought process is, well, KP's range could extend out, but I don't know how many big games KP has had against Utah, at least in his time in Dallas. So I don't know how good of a matchup that series is for him either, but it is, I think, a little more promising just with the ability to floor space. If his shot is dropping, maybe he can get going. Uh, The rules should simply allow to make step back free throws problem solved. I mean, you've had guys in the NBA who at times have been in such a funk, they're so in their head that they're not shooting with their toes at the free throw line. They're shooting at like the the top of the inner circle of the key because it, they just think it's easier. And it doesn't work well for them either, but I, I've seen guys do crazy things. You can take a jump shot free throw if you want. So theoretically, Luca could do it. It just would look silly. Uh, let's see. Loved Powell and Willie's energy and hustle last game. That that was two huge things. Powell in particular. If I had to give a game ball, and again, it's it's so easy and automatic just to give it to Luca all the damn time. But if I had to give a game ball, and I think Luca even acknowledges, like, no, I want to I want to recognize and acknowledge my teammates more. I think you would have to give it to Dwight Powell for last game. Maybe Dorian Finney-Smith with five steals. That was insane. And during that quick run by Dallas that pushed the lead to 10. He twice uh, was able to rip Paul George and, you know, create chaos in that way. But I think, I think Powell's energy and his rebounding was huge. And the last game is really the first significant minutes I've seen him get this series. So hopefully we see more of him. I wouldn't be shocked because his plus minus was pretty strong. If I recall, let me look it up. I think Powell had a really good plus minus last game. And it would not surprise me in the least if we had a situation where he ends up starting tonight. Let me see. Dwight Powell, he was a plus 10. But 22 minutes, 8.7 assists, perfect from the field, 3 of 3, had a steal. I think Powell would probably be my uh, my underappreciated standout of the game. Lost where I was in the comments, but I can dive back in. Oh, I just inadvertently answered Alan Rodriguez's question. There you go. 
Uh, what do I think about Maxi? I'm still concerned about Maxi's health a little bit. We've been playing him big minutes. He's been very good for us in terms of the defense. As much as you could possibly ask of him to deliver, he is. 19 minutes in game five, so that was a scale back for him. How much of that is necessity because of the sore Achilles, we don't know. But Maxi, one of three from the field. All three attempts were from three. I think that's kind of what you have to ask of him. I know he had that really hot start in game two. Yes, game two. He had 12 first quarter points, and that was monster for Dallas establishing things early on in that game. But I want to say with Maxi, you're basically banking on defense and spot-up threes. and Because he's not a good rebounder. He, he's fundamental, yes. He's a great, versatile big who can guard even wings. But I don't want to overwork him any more than I have to. And as far, it, it sounds funny to say, but like on offense, I'd rather him just kind of keep it limited to spot-ups. I want to rest him on offense because I know I'm going to need every ounce of energy he has on defense. This is actually Ty Lue Burner account. Thank you, DDP, for giving us the game plan for tonight's game, says Mavs FFL. Son of a gun, you got me. You got me. I'd also want I also though think that if they're that desperate, <laughs> if they're that desperate on game day to be watching a random Mavericks YouTuber talk about what I think they should do, Dallas is already in good position if they're at that level. I uh, would really like to see a player step up and make plays with Luca resting on the bench. Last game without Luca on the floor makes me anxious. Yeah, I mean, really, that that's the case for Dallas as a whole, right? Like, Jalen Brunson has had stretches where he's been able to do it, but we haven't seen it consistently. We haven't seen him able to create. Dallas, in recent games with Luca on the bench, their plus-minus is terrible. They have to have Luca out there especially the offense. They can't create or get any good looks, it seems like, with him resting right now, which is not good. <laughs> That's not good or ideal for this team if it's going to actually close this thing out, whether that be tonight or hopefully it doesn't come to this, but a, a game seven in that scenario. But I think in the offseason, they absolutely need to address that because you can't ask Luca to do this much all the time or even worse, more. It's not practical. You got to get help. Uh, you would think Aram says he thinks this will be KP's game to redeem himself. I sincerely hope so. We need it. If KP comes up big tonight with a 25 points, let's say, hell, I'll take 23 points and seven boards and uh, a block or something like that. Like if he comes up with something like that, then good, good on him. Cause we're, I don't want to say that we're in like, cause he's 25 going on 26, I think. You don't want to be like, hey, man, this is about this. This is like a legacy saving game tonight or your legacy is on the line. Like, I don't want to look at it like that because that feels really cliche to say. It's not like I think he's about to fall out of the league, but his value is at or near an all time low. I would say maybe it's not quite as low as it was at one point earlier this season where he was literally the worst defender in the NBA, but it's low. So he needs to recoup his value with a big game. And I think Dallas would be wise to try and get him going early. They've been hot starts in every game except for game four. I think they need to get that start going early, but they need to try and get KP going. I think even more so Luke has been electric to start some of these games, but I think KP getting going first at least in terms of getting the looks. If he's not knocking him down, he's not knocking him down. I'm not saying keep force-feeding him. 
If you get him two or three looks early on and he's not hitting, all right, switch gears, it's Luka time. But don't leave him over there and just forget about him. If if they're staying glued to him, get him moving. Get him get him moving in out of that corner. Don't just leave him camped out on the corner and waiting to see what happens in case his man happens to drift off him, as was the case with Batum before KP hit that huge corner three. Do something to get him open and try to get him, you know, ideally going downhill towards the basket, something where it's a dump off or him slashing to the basket because he's got an open lane, whatever. He had a thunderous dunk, and I think it was, I think it was game five. He had a thunderous dunk at one point where he got the ball and went to the basket and there was nobody around. That's awesome. If you can create that kind of movement and clear out space just in the flow of the offense, good. Get him some easy shots. Get him some easy shots right around the rim. Get him a dunk. Try and get him going because he is very sink or swim, live or die by his early momentum, I think. I say that. I've seen him start hot and then vanish off the face of the earth. But I think you just got to keep him somewhat in the flow of things and the the faster you get him going the better suited you are to you know to establish the control of the game and hang on uh it's 1 a.m from where i am and i feel the same way the game is going to be aired at 9 a.m here in southeast asia and i'll be watching from here let's go that's pretty cool matt simon i mean matt simon not that you're having to not that you're up so late watching me talk about this. That's awesome that you're watching. But uh, 9 a.m. games, man, that's a concept. That's that, that would be hard for me, like, initially waking up and getting going. But I will say I'm not a fan of when a freaking playoff game is ending at midnight. And then I'm hyped because of how the game ended, as was the case the other night. And I'm like, I got to jump on and do some kind of post-game show. And then in addition to that, I'm so amped up, it's going to take me like an hour to kind of come down from this. And now it's like 1, 1.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I got to get up in like four and a half hours. Sweet. The joys of fatherhood and the myth, not myth as it pertains to fatherhood, but the foregone days of sleeping in in any capacity. What I would give to see 7 a.m. with my eyes closed. Uh, let's see. What if we do a 180 and have a small lineup of Luca Brunson, Hardaway, Dorian, and KP? I think they, I think they feast. <laughs> I think they absolutely devour Dallas if they do that, because that lineup is not going to stop them from scoring in the paint. It would be. A, you're right in that it would be an absolute reversal of expectation from one extreme to the other. But I don't think that would be good because you're leaving yourself vulnerable to all kinds of scoring in the paint in that regard. And they have devoured Dallas through much of this series doing that. So I don't think that's the route to go. Not saying you can't ever have a combination like that out there. I just don't want to start it and have that be my primary lineup. Yes, Dirk Doncic, I agree. Smash, as they say, smash that like button. And uh, we will get it rolling. What is this? It's been so long since I've played a drop on this channel. I almost wonder. Show me the money. Oh, that is so lame. Anytime I make a good point, I should press this one. Truth bomb. Ooh, even an explosion. How nice. Anyway, uh, play a Bobon sit KP. 
what you're saying, like from the starting lineup, or you're saying like altogether. I also think KP is the kind of person that could be mentally impacted by losing his starting spot. He's been, based on his post game comments and press conferences and everything, he's been rather reserved and in control based on this. Okay, you're saying from the starting lineup. I still think that would be detrimental to his mental state in the game. I think KP, he's open about it. And so I think that's kind of the converse thing about that. Like, because KP is open about like mental health and what his thought process is, people kind of assume like that means he's more fragile in that regard. But I don't think he's necessarily more fragile in that regard. I think it's more a fact of just we know what he thinks and feels in those moments because he tells us that you could have someone that says nothing gives nothing away of that nature. That's 10 times more fragile than he is in terms of uh, like that situation. Like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with some frustration cause I'm not shooting well and it, it's getting to me. It's bothering me a little bit. Like he tells you, so you know it, someone else might not tell you, but might be worse reaction of that. They might be throwing like a little tantrum in their mind of like, no, I want to play better. I want more shots. I want more opportunities. I'm supposed to be the number two guy. and You know, whatever. And we know about it, so in KP's case, he gets that label, whether it's just or not. Just speculating. Just just thinking out loud. That, that logic clears to me, though, I think. I think it'd be a bad matchup for KP. If we make it to the next round, I think he'll be more of a factor. I hope that's the case. If Mavs win tonight... Uh, the teams left in the West would be Dallas, Utah, Denver, and Phoenix. Would personally love that. It's different. Yeah, of the remaining teams in the playoffs right now, Dallas is actually the most recent champion in 2011, I believe. That's that's a crazy picture, right? You had both teams in the NBA Finals last year out in the first round. Uh, Denver is the only even conference final team remaining. So very, very interesting how that has unfolded. I wonder how much of that is just the structure of the season being condensed in such a short offseason impacting things and how much of that is just a war of attrition slash passing of the guard because you do have so many young great stars rising up now. Uh, Obviously, Luka is one of, if not the biggest face of that next wave, but it it really does kind of change that perception a little bit when you look at what this team... Did I just drift off into another point? I saw, I saw something pop up in the chat, and my mind followed it, and my mouth just kind of kept going. That was, that was almost an otherworldly experience. I felt like I hovered out of my body for a second, and like my consciousness was looking at me like, dude, what are you talking about? And then I kind of like snapped back and was like, oh, awkward. And now I'm going to make it more awkward by telling you what's going on in my head, so maybe I'm mentally fragile too. Oh, man. Just poor Zingasing it over here. But regardless, uh, it is a passing of the guard. It is a transition in terms of the teams that are left. I like, I like Dallas's chances if they get past the Clippers, but I, I'm not going to pretend it's not a tough matchup. It's going to be a continued tough matchup, but to me, this is just me. If you beat LA, be it tonight, be it game seven, you call this season a win. That, that was my bar entering the season, was I wanted a playoff series win. I said, I think I, at the time, also said I wanted them to be damn competitive in the next series, whoever that matchup was going to be. And again, this is something I said before the season even started. 
But I feel like right now, and I want, the, I want them to be competitive, right? I want them to fight and show heart. But even if it's a short series, potentially, as long as they get past the Clippers, being the Clippers are the team that bounced them last year, still the better team in terms of roster composition and top-level star power in, in some of the parts, right? I would say it's a victory. I would say it's a success for the season because you've got another year of Luka showing out insanely in the playoffs. You've got that max, uh, max level salary slot available. You've cleared space. You can make multiple moves to improve your team this year. The one question mark is KP, but even that's not completely detrimental because I think the positive and the growths of Luka and now two playoff series outweighs the the frustration or disappointment and this is speculating again from the perception of free agents looking at dallas because i think they see like dude kp's not didn't even deliver on what he was expected to be in dallas and they still were the five seed they still went up two series in a row against the clippers who are insanely good took them to six when they were depleted and then beat them the following year Luka's a top-five MVP candidate. Imagine what they could do like if they had another star player like myself there as well. It's intriguing. I think it's still something that would draw a free agent to Dallas uh, of some note and notoriety. Note and notoriety. That, that, that's the same thing. I, I just said the same thing and was redundant. I promise I'm a good writer and generally speaker person man uh are we now ahead of schedule look i'm not i'm not saying to be clear steven i'm not saying it's a done deal pencil dallas into the next round you got to close it out la has shown they are more than capable of beating you two games in a row i'm simply stating if they get over the the hump as it were here and beat la anything else is just icing on the cake. It's the cherry on top. I, I, I want to layer above the icing just to show you how pleased I am with that. I think in that situation, you look at it and you say, you know what? We're, we're thrilled. As is, I think, I'm, I think I'm pretty happy. But I'm not content. I'm at like, I'm at, they're at what I wanted for the baseline but I want them to go a little further. I want them to win one more game. At the very least, give me one more game. You got two tries to do it, but I'd rather you do it tonight, and then we can we can get further into the discussions of what that means in the grander scheme. I agree, to be clear. Their work's not done, and I'm still very, very on the fence of who's ultimately going to walk away on this series. My gut still is leaning Dallas, but if they don't get it tonight, man, oh man. And that, you know, that, that's why my title for this stream is what it is. Like, I am anxious about this, not just from excitement and anticipation, but from nerves, because I saw how we played for one and three quarters of a game in Dallas earlier this series. Other than the first half, really, so one in three and a half quarters, other than the first half of the first quarter, this has been a slug fight, 
Slug fight? Slugfest? Fist fight? That sounds right. And the rest of it has been LA in control or just stomping on you, and you don't want that. So it is what it is. We'll see. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. Beat LA, beat LA. Yes, sir. I like that mentality, Roscoe. Uh, do it for Mavs fans. We need 25 plus from Hardaway Jr. And we win tonight, says Roscoe. Uh, I mean, if you're getting 25 out of Hardaway and you're getting what you're getting out of Luca, that's, that's very, very possible. Hardaway's high for this series, I think, was game one. What did Hardaway have in game one? It was game one or two. I know it was one of those games in L.A. Game one, Hardaway had 21. That might be it. Game two, Hardaway had, oh, look at that, 21. And then three, I think he was much more humble. No, he had 28 points. Game three was his high, 28 points. So, yes, if you're getting something like Hardaway you saw in games one through three, then yes, wait, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right at all. Hardaway had 12 in game three. DDP, what, are you, what am I smoking? What am I smoking? It's too early. It's too early for this nonsense. Game one and two, uh, Hardaway is what you need. You've had big moments from him since then, but you need that complete package because their rotations, again, the way they're rotating and closing on him, they're making it hard. Like, really difficult for him to get good looks. Yes, he hit that three over Paul George. I, I incorrectly last stream said it was over Kawhi, the first of those two threes that put Dallas up 10. That was actually a well-defended possession by L.A. Hardaway just nails that three because sometimes Hardaway's going to do that. But um, he got another look after that. KP hit the three, and then he got another look that was a tough look, but it wasn't as difficult as that one. But L.A. played it very well, and he just missed it. They're, the way they're rotating on him, and especially when they have Kawhi bothering him, it's making him at times, even, even him and how trigger-happy he can be, even Hardaway at times, is being reluctant to shoot. And you're seeing it in the shots he is getting. He's 4 of 14. He's 6 of 19. Like It's not near as efficient as he was in games 1 and 2 at all. But if you get a good Hardaway, then yes. Good Luka plus good Hardaway, Dallas is damn tough. And if you get any kind of facsimile of quality KP, Dallas's three-headed monster is ridiculous. JJ, I don't like that mentality, bro. We need to build a winning culture. What mentality did I have? I don't know. No house money talk. Again, I'm not actually like talking to the team. I'm not giving them a rah-rah speech of like, well, guys, the season's a success. Now go out there and try and give me more. I'm not doing that. It is what it is, though. I, I want to see how tonight plays out. I think this is a, a chance for a major feather in Dallas's cap in terms of what they've overcome this year. They've overcome a lot already. But if they can get one more win, this is a successful season. 
We'll see what they can do. Mm -mm -mm. Interesting. Anyway, so I'm about out of time here, guys. If you want, I can answer a couple more questions, but I got to wrap up here. I've got a, a meeting coming up in about 15 minutes. Let's see. When is JJ Reddick playing? Asks Abraham Young. We know he's not available for this series. Uh, I, I don't think anything has changed on that front. We were told that going into the series. I have not even heard an update to suggest whether he's close. So, like, is he? would he theoretically be available game one or two against the Jazz? I don't know. I'm honestly, the lack of information on that front is making me think he's still a ways off. Because I think back to, like, when the Mavericks won the title, Karan Butler blew out his knee, like, dislocated his uh, patella, tore that tendon, and... That was in, like, January, and yet all through the the Western Conference Finals and even into the finals, we kept hearing, he's close, he's really close, he's days away. And I remember making the argument then, man, if he can go out there and at least go through the layup line, he should, because imagine the lift that'll give the team and the energy that'll pump into the crowd. doesn't matter if he doesn't suit up in the game at all. That would be huge, I think, for an emotional lift. And after the, after the finals that year, Carlisle said he was literally days away. Like, if, if the season had had another week in it, he would have played. Maybe I'm slightly paraphrasing that last part of that statement, but he said days away, like, so incredibly close to being ready to play again and uh, would have been implemented despite the layoff and despite the huge, huge stage. So I think that's rather telling. I would like to see Dallas kind of do something maybe similar with Redick, where at the very least they have him out there available, even if he's not getting much in the way of minutes. I think having him out there, even if he can give you just a few minutes, still adjusts your floor spacing and gives you more, more to do, more flexibility. Uh, let's see. Luca is not Serbian, Slovenian. Serbian is Boban. Uh, if Lucas Slovenian, why did he play for Real Madrid in Spain? It's just it's just like here, like it's moving to play like with the elite things, and in in, in that regard, I think he's from Slovenia. But if I recall, like his father is from there. I That whole side of it's a little less fresh in my mind. So we're going we're gonna to sweep away <laughs> on that before I just completely awkwardly dismount this by looking like a jackass for getting something wrong that a sizable portion of the base will know I got wrong and willingly call me out for. But I, I hold nothing against anybody, really. So, yeah, it's... It's a big game tonight. Dallas needs to close out. And I'm anxious as hell. I'm incredibly anxious. Like, even now, I'm sitting here like my foot's kind of bouncing a little bit, you know? Like, it's it's just jitters. It's just anxious. So, we shall see. But regardless, I'll have a post-game show later tonight. I don't know if it'll be a full show like this kind of set up here. Or if it'll be the same thing of just kind of me on the back porch with my phone. I, I don't like the production value of those because it's... 
zero. But at the same time, my uh, my daughter sleeps right on the other side of this office wall. And if I'm in here talking with any volume at all, she hears, she wakes up, and my wife wants to strangle me, pretty much. That's pretty much how that works. So sometimes I'm limited in the late night stuff. And uh, if that happens, though, we'll run it back full show just like this in the morning, even earlier than this, really. And uh, we'll go from there, whether we ride high or whether we got to lick our wounds and come back for one more go. We'll go through it together, guys. But that's it for my time. Don't forget to like this video, drop a comment below, subscribe to the Dallas Prospect, and until next time, remember, every legend was once a prospect. Peace.